that word treasure that is in the text today. The word treasure means precious things. And what is true of all of us in this room, or people who may watch this later over a replay, is that we all treasure something. We all have things that we treasure deeply. I don't mean, when I say that, that we have things that we like a little bit. I don't mean that there are things that we just have some affection for. I mean, there are things in our life that we treasure, and people around us know that. They know that about us. They can see that about us. I think about my own life, my wife, my children, they're they're certainly one of my treasures. I met my wife in high school, and within a very short period of time, I was certain that I wanted to marry her. And so I pursued her as much as I possibly could. And she had this job at a little drugstore in Centerpoint, and I would go down there on her shift, and I would stand for sometimes four hours at a time, waiting for the opportunity to be able to talk to her in between customers. When she went to Europe for her senior trip with the high school, I pursued her through long-distance phone calls for her entire trip, which earned me a bill from my future in-laws of $400 when she returned. But I treasured her, and I pursued her in that. I treasure being a pastor. There is really nothing else in my life other than loving God and loving my family that I want to do. It is the only thing I've ever really wanted to do. When I dream, I don't dream of writing a best-selling book or being well-known on the Internet. Like my, My dreams and my hopes are about having the time to be a part of people's lives, to try and help them know Christ and know Him better and walk with them through good times and through bad times. And I've been in this church for 19 years, and I have served here when I wasn't paid anything, and I've served here when there wasn't that many people coming. There's other things that I've done and other jobs that I do even now, but this is the job that I adore. This is the job that I treasure. And I share those things with you as illustrations. In both of those illustrations, I told you of a treasure that I have, something that I treasure, but then I immediately gave you evidence of my treasuring. And the evidence that I gave you of what I treasure, that evidence is my behavior. You see, because it is not ultimately what you say that proves what you love. It is what you do. We say a lot of things, and you can say what your treasure is. You can talk about it. You can fool people. You can fool yourself. But at the end of the day, our treasure is revealed by what we do. If you're a note taker and you have one of our worship guides and you want to follow through filling in the blanks in the notes, we're going to start with this life truth this morning. In the final analysis of your life, when it's all said and done, 
What you treasured will be revealed by what you did. I'm, I'm not speaking of every single action, but I mean holistically. When someone looks at the general direction of your life and what you did and how you lived, how you treated people, what you valued, they will determine that by what you did, by how you lived. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus taught that where your treasure is, there your heart will be. He tied your treasure to your heart. Now, it's important to understand that in the Bible, the heart It's not just what you feel. The heart is the very center of your being. When the Bible talks about heart, it's talking about your very core. It's where your thoughts come from. It's where your desires come from. It's where your will comes from. It's your very conscience. That's your heart. And so when Jesus ties your treasure to your heart, what he is saying is that your whole life, your whole being will be directed by whatever you treasure. Now, what you love is ultimately what decides how you live. The way you reason through your circumstances the prevailing desires that you find yourself having over and over, the decisions you make, the ones that people can see, the ones people can't see, the ones you make in private, all of those are agents that ultimately reveal what you find precious. And I gave you some examples of created things that I treasure, and, and every one of you, if you were we were discussing this, you could say, Various things that you treasure in your life, created things that you really enjoy, and your actions show that. But when Jesus talks about treasure, he is digging down to our very core. He's not just talking about the little branches of precious things that we have in our lives. He is talking about the very root of who you are. And what Jesus says is this, and it is up to you to decide whether or not you will believe it. And the case that I would make to you this morning is that the his resurrection from the dead is what gives him the authority to make this statement to us. But what Jesus says is that ultimately, for every person in this room, your primary treasure is grounded either on earth or it is founded in heaven. And those are the only options. The primary prevailing treasure of your life is either earth-driven or it's heaven-driven. And there's no in-between. You treasure God and the things of God, or you treasure man and the things of man. And there's no living in between that. Because at the core of who you are, you cannot treasure both. You cannot have two masters. You can only have one. Your heart has one throne, and there is one king that sits on it directing everything you do. And the question is, who's on that throne? When you get to Proverbs, which is the book that we're going through right now as a church, Solomon describes the king on the throne 
as either wisdom or folly. He says that either in your life you embrace wisdom, which is skill in godly living, you embrace wisdom and you find that worth treasuring, or you embrace folly, which is a life of self-rule, where you make your decisions, where you decide the course of your life. And let's just be honest, that's where we all want to be naturally. Solomon says it's not the wise place to be. But on the throne of our heart is either wisdom or folly, and in Proverbs, God is making a plea to you, and He is saying to you that wisdom is precious. Wisdom, godly living, is precious and valuable, and folly, self-rule, is fool's gold. It looks valuable, but it is not. It is actually leading you to destruction. And this morning as we celebrate what I called earlier the greatest moment in history when Jesus rose from the death that He endured on the cross, as Josh talked about in sermon number one, receiving God's judgment against our sin, I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus is identified in the Bible as the wisdom of God. The wisdom Solomon is talking about is ultimately personified in Jesus. So go back to this passage this morning and just imagine that for a moment, okay? Consider this passage. Consider wisdom as Jesus. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to Jesus and inclining your heart to his understanding, yes, if you call out for Jesus and raise your voice for him, if you seek him like silver and search for him as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives us Jesus. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He has stored up Jesus for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, because Jesus will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. In your notes... This is our promise from Proverbs. It is a promise for every person in this room. If you seek after Jesus to be your treasure, He will come into your heart and He will direct you to pleasant places. He will come into your heart and He will direct you to pleasant places. Josh mentioned this earlier, but in Luke 24... The account of the morning of the resurrection, there are some women that are going to the tomb to perform this customary burial rite on the corpse of Jesus. But when they get there, the large stone that had covered the tomb was missing, and they go into the tomb, and he is not there. And they are met by these two angelic beings, and they ask these women a question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you looking for one who is alive in a tomb? 
And I want you to know this morning that when the Bible calls us to seek after Jesus, we are not being called to seek after a dead historical figure. You are being called to seek after a living person. You can't see him with your eyes at this moment, but he is as alive as you and I are. As a matter of fact, he is more alive than you and I are because he is at the right hand of God on his throne. And if you call him by name, he will hear you. There is not a question about that. In verse 4, Solomon points out how important it is, the nature of our seeking, that it should be serious, that you should seek after Jesus the way you would a hidden treasure. If someone gave you a map that no one else had and said, hey, here's a here's a tip. If you go to this place and you dig, you will find treasure. Every single one of us would do that. Solomon says that should be the seriousness of your seeking. That should be the nature of how you seek after Jesus. You don't seek after Christ as if he's ordinary. You don't seek after Christ as if he will just be a part of your life and one of the things that you treasure. You don't seek after him thinking, well, if I add a, if I add some Jesus, if I add some religion to my life, then that'll, that'll kind of help me along. That is not the picture of how we seek after Christ. The request that we should make of Jesus is that he would become the king of the throne of our heart, that he would direct our life, that he would be the root of who we are and what we do. And it takes faith to ask for that because you have to believe that nothing else is as worthy of Jesus to sit on the throne of your heart. Sometimes God gives us life circumstances that help us to see that because we've tried other kings. We've tried other things to give us satisfaction and hope and fulfillment, and we have realized every one of them are a dead end. Some of them have harmed us greatly. Some of us have not had those experiences. We will if we stay on a pathway of folly. And God is giving us the opportunity through the eyes of faith to spare us from that. You don't have to know at the very beginning what it means to follow Christ. Not You don't have to know the entirety of what that's going to mean. Because look at verse 5. It is after you seek Christ like a hidden treasure that you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. There's a lot of childlike faith that is required in seeking Jesus like treasure. And it is after you do that that God will really reveal to you his knowledge and his understanding. But your seeking must be serious. If you really believe Jesus rose from the dead, if you really believe that, then you have to believe he is Lord. And that he's worth treasuring. Because the greatest enemy you will ever face in your life is death. 
And there is only one king who can sit on the throne of your heart and assure you that one day he will conquer that enemy for you. Nothing else can do that. Whatever else you would put there, money, notoriety, career, pleasures, those things can offer you momentary satisfaction, but they cannot assure you that one day you will rise from the dead. Only Jesus can do that. And so he is worthy of being on the throne of your heart. And if you can believe that, if you can believe that he is worth treasuring more than anything else, if you can believe that, how do you know he'll answer you if you call? How do you know that's for you? Because you know all the things that you've struggled with, right? You know all the things in the deep recesses of your mind that you've thought about, things that you've done that no one else knows about. So it's easy sometimes to hear these things and say, yes, I can see that, I believe that, but that's that's not for me. How, how do you know it is for you? And the Bible says you know that because God is not a man that he may lie. He has said it's for you. Look at verse 10. If you seek Christ with seriousness, He will come into your heart. That means He will transform the very core of your being. Some of you have experience with religion. You've grown up in religious circles. A lot of us in the South, that's that's kind of what a lot of our background is. It's part of the weekend. You went to church. Maybe you went to Nana's after church and got chicken. That's what we did. Here's the problem with religion. The problem with religion is it teaches you to do different things. Here's what it means to be godly. Change your behavior. Please hear me, that is not the Christian message. That is not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is, you need transformation. I need transformation. We need heart change. We can't do that. We can try to mold our behavior all we want. It'll never work. God's plan is to transform the core of who we are and put a new king on the throne of our heart. And then after that, What we do, how we feel, what we desire, it will change. Sometimes in a moment, sometimes in a progression, but it will change. Jesus and his resurrection is the fulfillment of the promise God made in Ezekiel 36, that those that he saves will have their uncaring, unrepentant, folly-filled heart of stone removed. And in its place, there will be a heart of flesh with new ways of thinking and new desires and new will. And all of that comes from Jesus. Every bit of it. You might even think, I I, I don't get it. I don't get why people enjoy doing these things. Why? Why do they enjoy godly things? Why do they enjoy religion? Why do they enjoy going to church? And you know what? Some of that is we need transformation. We can never understand that until Jesus does a work. And he will do that if we ask him to do it. 
He will work in our inward being and He will cause us to walk in the way Solomon describes in verse 9. You will walk in ways of righteousness. You will walk in ways that are just and ways that are fair. Every good path, what I call pleasant places. And I want you to understand, when I say that He will direct you, that Christ will come into your heart and He will change you and direct you to pleasant places, that does not always mean pleasant circumstances. You will have good times. You will have hard times. I will tell you, if you come to Christ and want to live by wisdom, there are, you will face more difficulties in this life than if you didn't. But what we mean by pleasant places is that in every one of your times, Jesus will be tending to you. He will care for you. In verse 8, Solomon said, He will guard the paths of justice and watch over the way of His saints. He always guards your journey. Jesus always guards the journey of His people. Nothing can touch a Christian without God's permission. And Jesus only allows what comes into our life. He only allows those things that will make us more godly and more fit for service. There is no other treasure that can do that for you. Nothing else can protect you that way. Nothing else can guard you that way. We talk about the resurrection It is the proof that Jesus has secured all of these things. And let me just say, it is proof. There is evidence. If you really dive into the historical accounts and you treat the Bible and its historical accounts the way you treat any other history book, you will find that the Bible stands above them all. Paul who wrote that opening passage that we read today, Paul says something so interesting in there. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say, look, come to God. Because if you come to God and then one day you you die and you find out there was no God, at least you lived a good life. But But if you don't come to God and then you die and find out there is one, then, you know, you've... You've missed out, and you're lost for all of eternity. And there's probably some truth in that statement, but I just want you to know that's not what Paul said. Paul said, if there's no God and there's no resurrection, you should find Christians and feel really, really, really sorry for them because they're wasting their life. What we're doing right now is foolishness if Christ was not raised from the dead. Me treasuring being a pastor and desiring to help people know more of Jesus and spending time serving God and loving God and trying to teach others about God is, it is the, is a complete waste of my life if Jesus was not raised from the dead. And so that's what Paul said. And Paul was a man who used to be very religious. He was very rich in the praise of men and rich in material things because of his religious practice. And then one day, 
after spending time persecuting Christians and approving of their murder, trying to end the Christian religion, one day Paul met the risen Christ and he was immediately transformed. And he gave up the praise of men for the beatings of men. What would cause him to give up everything of notoriety and riches in order to suffer in prison and beatings. Why? One thing, he saw Jesus. Just as all of those 11 apostles who didn't turn from Christ, every one of them suffered greatly. The majority of them suffered torturous deaths. Why? Because they believed because they had seen Christ die, and they saw Him raised from the dead. Paul was writing, and when he was writing in the first century, at one point, just a few decades from the death and the resurrection of Jesus, he said, look, if you don't believe me, go ask. Jesus has appeared to hundreds of witnesses at one time. Go ask them. A lot of them are still alive, and they'll tell you. And we can have that same confidence today that the resurrection is true. And because it's true, Jesus is the only worthy treasure. If you have a Bible, or if you want to look in your handout, you can. Hebrews 9, 14, this one passage where you can go there in your Bible. And by the way, if you were here this morning and you do not have a copy of God's Word Um, If you don't have a good study Bible, we would love to gift you with one before you leave here today. Come see me or come see Nick, and we have a copy of Scripture we would love to give you, a good study Bible for you to take with you from Agape. But in Hebrews 9.14, the writer of Hebrews, talking about the sacrifice of Jesus, says this, The blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So I want you to see in your notes three things that if you treasure Jesus, here are three things that His resurrection has secured for you. If you seek after Him to sit on the throne of your heart, here are three things that He has secured for you. Number one, He has secured for you a freed heart, a heart of freedom, a freed heart. I want you to remember the heart is the center of our conscience. It's where our thoughts reside, our will, our desires. And the writer of Hebrews says he has purified our conscience. He's purified our heart in the resurrection. He has freed us. Your heart can be healed from the corruption of sin. Do you find yourself continually being pulled to the same thing over and over and over and over again? Even when you tell yourself, this is not good and I need to do something different and live differently. Your heart can be set free. doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle with sin, but what it means is that you no longer have to be overcome and overwhelmed by wrong desires because the spirit of the power of Christ, the spirit that rose, that raised him from the dead, that spirit will live in you. Secondly, secondly, his resurrection has secured for you a light load. A light load. Notice the writer of Hebrews says that he's purified our conscience from dead works. 
That's what we're being freed from. The works he's talking about there are the things people try to do in order to be godly. This is the person who's trying to earn their keep. This is the person who's trying to be good enough that God will be happy with them and one day accept them. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is in the resurrection, Jesus has secured for you peace with God. God accepts Christ, so if Christ is in you, He accepts you. That's the picture. And you don't have to try to live in a way to be pleasing to Him because Christ has already lived that life on your behalf. There is no question whether or not God will welcome you at His throne. He will. Because Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And then finally, in the resurrection, He secures for us a clear vision. He purifies our conscience or our heart from the dead works of self-rule and trying to earn our keep. And He purifies us to serve the living God. The resurrection allows you to live with a purpose and with a vision. I don't know what you dream of. I don't know what your hopes are. I don't know what it is that that you would say, this is what I want in my life. A lot of times it centers around things that we would like to own one day or a state we would like to be in one day or notoriety or a career we would like to have. I don't know what that is for you. But there is nothing you could ever dream of that is greater. Nothing you could ever dream of that is greater than serving God. Then for the aim of your life to be about pleasing Him. Serving His Father was the goal of Jesus. And when He was on the When he's on the cross, that was what his plans were. It's what he was there to please his father. And if he is on the throne of your heart, then your desire would be as well to serve God because the life of Christ goes on through you. It'll be the one thing that keeps rising to your mind all the time, to your heart all the time. No matter what I do, I want to make God known. No matter where I go, no matter what He gives me, I want to make God known. I want to please God. Listen, I I don't care how much of the Bible you know. I don't care how long you've went to church. I, I don't care how long it's been since you made a profession of faith. Listen, if the overriding goal and desire of your heart is not to please God, there's a spiritual problem. And I don't know what that is, but I do believe you are here this morning that you might be called to seek the cure for that spiritual problem. And I think this text today calls to all of us, no matter what state we're in. And it starts with the church. It starts with those of us who are believers who are Christians, who make that claim about our life, because if you do belong to Jesus, the reminder that he is giving us is that when we sought salvation, we were seeking Christ to be our treasure. Not to be a part of our life, 
Not to just help us in, in our finances or some area we're struggling in, but to take all the other kings off the throne and let him sit on it. And if you're truly his, I believe Christ will never relinquish that throne. But I do believe that your ear and your life can be pulled by the enemy of your soul and this world. You can be distracted from Jesus. And the Christian life is one of having to battle in prayer and keep seeking after Jesus like treasure over and over and over And to repent when you realize that the folly of this world has grabbed your attention. And it may be that he has brought you here this morning on this day for you to hear the call. Repent of all the other treasures that are vying for your attention and seek after Christ. But this text also calls to those of us who've never sought Christ as a treasure. And again, whether we've been religious or irreligious... If God is revealing to you this morning that you've never really seriously sought after Jesus as Lord, I think He's brought you here today that you might do that. That you might hear a message that Christ is worthy of the throne of your heart and you would be serious in that seeking. I'm going to make you an offer this morning and one that would require a whole lot of boldness if that is you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, there's a very interesting verse there where Peter writes and he says that baptism is an appeal to God for a good conscience. Now remember, conscience is our heart. Baptism is an appeal to God for a pure heart. When we talk about baptism, especially in Baptist churches, we often refer to it as this public declaration of faith, which it is. And a picture of salvation, which it is. When you go into the water, you are it's like you're buried, like Christ was buried, your old life, and then you're raised out of the water to a whole new life, the way Christ was raised from the dead. And that is a beautiful picture of salvation. But according to Peter, according to the New Testament, baptism is part of your crying out to Christ to come and let him sit on the throne of your heart. If you're following after Christ, if you say you're following Jesus, the first thing he tells you to do is be baptized. So it's very difficult to say, yes, I'm appealing to him to sit on the throne of my heart and not follow through on what he has said. To make that appeal through baptism. We don't believe that saves us, but we do believe it is part of the crying out. It shows the seriousness that you're seeking after Him. And so I said the offer this morning. I've had a bunch of people ask me, hey, there's water in the baptistry. Who's being baptized? And my answer has been, I don't know. Maybe no one. But here's what I'll tell you this morning. I have towels. I have some semblance of a change of clothes. And I have water in a baptistry. And if this morning... You want to show the seriousness of your seeking after Christ and making an appeal that he would sit on the throne of your heart. We will baptize you on this resurrection day if you're bold enough to ask for that. I want to ask the worship team if they'll come up. 
And we also have some prayer partners. We have some people that that just serve here in the church, and one of the ways that they serve is they will pray for people, not because they have everything down, maybe because they know what it's like to really struggle. If you're going to be one of our prayer partners, if you'll come over here to my right, I know we normally go to the left, but we'll go to the right today when there's more room over there. And here's what I would like to invite you to this morning. If you're a believer, and you know that, you know that you belong to Christ, but you just want someone to pray with you, maybe about a renewed commitment to seek after Him as your treasure. Maybe you need help with the temptations and the struggles of this life. Maybe you need healing physically, or maybe you know you need healing spiritually. Maybe you don't even know what to call it, but you just know something's going on, and you would like someone to pray with you. Sometimes it's so helpful just to be able to say to someone, I need prayer. And so you can come to this group of individuals, and they will will pray with you. They'll pray for you about anything. And if this morning you know, I've never treasured Jesus. Maybe I've been religious or I haven't been. But I know that what we're talking about today, that does not describe what I think of when I think about my life with God. And this morning you want to make an appeal to Jesus to be your Savior and your treasure. And I would invite you to just to come talk to me. In just a moment I'm going to be standing over here singing. And it, you can walk up here and just stand next to me and talk. And you know what? It may be the longest walk of your life. But it shows the seriousness of our seeking. And if you just want to talk and you want to pray, that's what we'll do. And if I'm occupied, you can go see Nick. And you can talk to him about the same things. Or really any one of our prayer partners. Kevin as well. Wave, Kevin. But if you want to really seriously seek after him today in saying, this is not about talk. I know that I need to cry out to Christ. I know that he needs to sit on the throne of my heart. There's really nothing to discuss. I just know that I need that. And I want to, I want to show the seriousness of that seeking. And I want this resurrection day to be my resurrection day in Christ. And I want to be baptized. Then we will do that this morning. And we will celebrate with you of what Christ is doing. There's no shame in that. It is a beautiful thing. So come talk to me. Talk to Nick. Talk to Kevin. I know that may be the hardest thing you've ever even imagined doing. But remember, you seek, then you find. You seek, and the knowledge of God is granted to you. The one thing I ask you to not do, because I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I, we're not trying to create anything here. We're not trying to make something happen. If God is not going to move in that area... It's up, that's up to him. But the one thing I'm asking of you this morning 
is if you feel even the slightest pull on your heart, don't ignore it. We said this last week. Jesus promises. He's knocking. One day he will stop knocking. The Bible is very clear. If today you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. Don't rationalize your way out of it. Don't say, I'm just going to contemplate it some more, think about it some more. Today's the day of salvation. He has overcome the grave for you. There is nothing he cannot do. Nothing. Nothing that he will hold back from you that's good. Because he gave his life and God gave his son. So you know he loves you. Father, this morning, as we pray, as we worship, my, my ask of you, God, is that you would guard over the lives of your people. Those who are in the fold and those right now that you're calling to the fold. Calling to come and be part of your family. Or those who are already a part of your family, but they've wandered. God, please break down our hearts of stone this morning. Cause our pride to fall away and the fear of man to crumble at our feet. And God, let us have the fear of the Lord and humility that leads us to repentance and a new way of life. To have our hearts purified from dead works and dead things and dead ends to serve you. God, let no one who is hearing you right now ignore your call, whatever it may be. God, we're not trying to create anything in this place. We can't. But we are asking God, please, by the power of your Spirit, move among us this morning. Save and sanctify your people. You overcame death. You raised Christ to new life. There is nothing that is impossible for you. Let us believe that. And may Christ sit on the throne of all of our hearts. In His name we pray. Amen.